We're going to look at this man, Samson, a man of potential, a man of passion, and a man of purpose. And that will be our framework for the next two or three weeks as we investigate his life and glean truths from Samson's life that'll help you and I in our own personal walk with the Lord. So I trust today that you will look at this man, Samson. You see where he was strong and ultimately uh, his strength would, would fall short of helping him be all that God had created him to be. You have to be strong in the Lord and not strong in self. So we're going to look at this man today, Samson, a man of potential, passion, and purpose. Follow along with me in verse number 1 of chapter 13. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and bare not. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but you will conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Drop all the way down to verse 24. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. And may God add his blessings today as we look at this man Samson who was certainly a man of potential, passion, and purpose. Do you know there's more attention given to Samson in the Word of God than any of the other Old Testament judges? Chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16 all chronicle the life of this strong man. His life itself was a living contradiction. He was strong physically, but he was very weak in his character. To look at him on the outside, you would think he would have no equal, but on the inside, Samson's strength did not at all match what it was on the outside. He could defeat a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, but he could not defeat his own lustful passions. The greatest enemy we face many times is the enemy of self, and that certainly proved to be true in Samson's life. No one was his equal physically. But he battled more with himself, his inward person, than he did with the enemies that was on the outside. Samson was the strongest man who ever lived, but yet in many ways he was the weakest. He was dedicated to God at his birth, but throughout his life he was dedicated to himself. So his life is a contradiction. It has been said about Samson that he was like the cross-eyed discus thrower. That he never set any records, but he sure kept the crowd awake, (laughs) all right? So you look at his life, you read his story, and you think, how can a man that strong, that capable, a man with that much potential squander the potential that he had and end up living his life as a failure? 
You see, Samson had more advantages than any of his contemporaries. He was physically strong. He grew up with godly parents who supported him. And most of all, he had God's favor in his life. But at the end of the day, it seemed as though Samson had just turned his back on all that he knew to be good and wholesome. You see, Samson's problem was he believed that he was invincible. Samson also believed that he was the exception. And he also believed that the consequence of sin played out in the lives of other people, but for some reason it would never play out in his own life. And Samson was deceived as a result of that. So I want us to look at his life for the next little while this morning, and I want to see how his strength actually became his weakness, and how for you and I, our weakness, when we trust the Lord, the Bible says his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So the first thing I want you to note today is I want you to look at this man, Samson, the background for his birth, and I want you to see the promise of great potential. The promise of great potential. Verse 1 says, this constant refrain that we've read many times in this book, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Those same words are repeated seven different times in this book, like the constant dripping of a leaky faucet over and over and over ad infinitum, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They believed God, but somehow what they believed didn't translate into the life that they lived. They said they trusted God, but uh, their words were just shallow and empty and superficial because it was never translated into a life that demonstrated the transformation of knowing God. So they just simply lived their lives Away from God. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. When they crossed the Red Sea, they said of all that God says we will do. But did they do it? Of course not. When they crossed the Jordan River and began to move up the Jordan Valley and and began the conquest of Canaan land, again they said all that God said we will do. But yet they failed to do it. The unbelieving culture around them drew them away from God. And the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. But the pull of the culture and the pull of the world and the appetites of the flesh drew them away from God and they wed themselves to the pagan influences and culture that was around them. And into that backdrop, God is going to allow a young boy to be born. And he makes a promise to this man, Manoah, and his wife, that they're going to have a son. And in verse number one says that the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now the birth of this child will be the one that will finally break the yoke of the Philistines and and liberate them, or the Hebrews, from this Philistine oppression and difficulty. Now, who were the Philistines? Do you know of all the enemies that Israel faced throughout the Scripture? That the Philistines were public enemy number one. They were the largest pain in the neck. They created more problems for the Hebrews than any other people group. They were constant troublemakers. Historians and archaeologists who have excavated in the site where they lived have said that they were famous, or I should say infamous, for their consumption of alcoholic beverages, especially beer They say that ancient Philistine ruins contain numerous breweries and wineries and countless beer mugs that they've been able to unearth and other drinking vessels. You find this people group, the Philistines, over and over again in the Scriptures. You'll read about them in Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, 
other books of the Bible. Men like David and Samuel had to deal with them. Men like Saul had to battle with them on a regular basis. The name Philistine itself means sea people. Sea people, they were a descendant from Noah's son Ham. And they began to move across the Mediterranean and they, they uh, uh, lived in the area of Israel today that we know as the Gaza Strip. In fact, the name Palestine comes from this word for the Philistines. So they would inhabit the area then that we know of as the Gaza Strip today. And it was a continual warring between the Philistines and the Hebrews. The Philistines were incredible warriors. Remember Goliath as David fought Goliath? Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines had so oppressed God's people that the Hebrews were not allowed to have any implements of warfare made out of iron. Even if you were a farmer as a Hebrew and you needed your plow sharpened or you needed uh, your axe sharpened, you had to take that to a Philistine overlord and he would charge you to sharpen your axe or your plow for you. Because as a Hebrew, now remember, this is post-Jordan crossing. This is post-conquest of Canaan land, and you think living in this land of milk and honey, they would have no problems. But because they chose to live right alongside the Philistines, they were in constant subjection to the Philistines who said, you're not even allowed to have any implements of warfare. Remember David said to Goliath, you come to me with sword and spear. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord, and with a sling and a few stones, David was able to defeat Goliath. That's the backdrop with a promise that this boy, Samson, would be born that would help break the yoke of the Philistines. Notice verse 2 says, There was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites. So, from the tribe of Dan, in other words, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Behold, you are barren and bare not, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, and need any unclean thing. For lo, now look at this promise of the boy that will be born. No, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin, look at this promise, to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistine. So notice that. The angel of the Lord comes. And he says to Manoah's wife, I'm going to give you a promise that you will have a son that will be born, that will once and for all finally liberate the Hebrews from the hands of the Philistines. Now this would be like, this would be like the Lord coming to Randolph and Jeannie Churchill saying, you're going to have a son named Winston Churchill. And by the sheer force of his voice and his personality, will be able to hold together Europe under the onslaught of Nazi bombardments. Or it would be like the Lord coming to uh, David Eisenhower and his wife Ada and saying to them, you're going to have a son named Dwight, and he is going to lead the, the, the largest naval armada that the world has ever seen to liberate France from Nazi Germany. Here was Manoah, and he's hearing this angel of the Lord, or his wife. She's hearing the angel of the Lord say, you're going to have a son. 
And this son is going to do great things. He's going to have incredible potential. Incredible potential. Now it says in verse number 5 that he will be a Nazarite. What in the world does that mean? In Numbers chapter 6, for an individual to be a Nazarite, they would take what is called the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow. You can go back and read it later today, but it's Numbers chapter 6. The Nazarite vow consisted of three primary aspects. Number one, they were not allowed to drink any wine. Number two, they were never allowed to come near a dead body. And number three, for a season, they were not allowed to cut their hair. And what they were doing, it was a sign to say, I'm going to separate myself for God and for God's work, and I'm going to keep myself from the world. So they would make that vow. No, no, no uh, wine keep my hair from being cut, and I'll never go near a dead body. What you will find in the life of Samson is here was a man who would make that vow, but in the end, he would break all three of those aspects of the Nazarite vow. He had such incredible potential. He would be the man that would defeat the Philistines, but yet he couldn't conquer his own passions. He would be the man that would be the national hero of Israel, but because his passions went unchecked, he would become a national disgrace in his own life, in spite of all the potential, he didn't live up to the promise that God had for him. Do you know it has been said that potential is the heaviest burden in life? Potential is unrealized possibility. Potential is the difference between who we are and who we could be. Let me say that again. Potential is the difference between who we are and who who we could be. How many of you here this morning have ever heard of, uh, I'm dating myself some because he's been out of athletics for a number of years now, uh, but probably most of us here. How many of you have ever heard of an athlete by the name of Deion Sanders? Raise your hand. You heard of Deion Sanders? Yeah, practically most of us. Deion Sanders was one of few athletes who ever played professional football and professional baseball at the same time. At the same time. I mean, not, not at the same time, but during the same season. You know what I mean. He is, the only, he is the only athlete to have ever hit a home run in Major League Baseball and score a touchdown in football in the same week. He writes about the fact that he was brought up on the mean streets of Fort Myers, Florida, and how some of the friends that he played with and the potential that he saw in his friends, and this is what he said. He said, they had such potential. They were as fast as me when we were kids. But instead of working for their dreams, they chose drugs and a life of street corners. When I was young, I had practice, but my friends who didn't went straight to the streets and they never left. He explains, I call them Ida's. If I'd have done this, I'd be making millions. If I'd have practiced a little harder, I'd be a superstar. He said, we don't need any more Ida's. When Samson would find himself ultimately in the dungeon of the Philistines, with his eyes gouged out, grinding meal like an animal in that darkness of the dungeon, I imagine Samson would look back over his life and he would say, if I'd only not gone down to Timnath to find a Philistine woman, if I had only not said yes to the enticement of of Delilah, If I'd have only not turned my back on my Nazarite vow, 
But once he's grinding in the devil's dungeon, he can't go back and unring the bell and undo the consequences of the life of poor decisions that Samson had made. Here was a man with such great potential, but he never lived up to that full potential because he was doing things his own way and not the way that God would have him to go. Samson finds himself at the end of his life. He had been blinded. He had been bound. He was grinding, which tells us sin finds you and blinds you and binds you and grinds you. And he's an incredible illustration of what happens when we get away from God. But you see, God had potential for Samson. It's just that Samson never lived up to it. Listen to what Jeremiah 29 says. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for you to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. God said, I want to do great things in your life. And he says that to you and I today. But the devil will say, you're nothing, or you're no good, or you have no potential. You might as well quit, or that this sin is not so bad, or go ahead and live your life, do your own thing, go your own way. It's not going to make any difference in the, end of the, in the long run. And what the devil doesn't tell you is that when you do that, and when you walk away from what God wants to do in your life, you're missing the potential that God has really put in your heart and wants to build in you. And you miss that abundant life and what God has created you for. You see, God sees you with the potential that he built in you. Listen to Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts and you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and my soul knows very well that my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being uninformed and in your book they were all written. The psalmist is simply saying, God, you formed me, you made me, you molded me, you shaped me and you have a plan for me. And I want to reach that plan and fulfill all the potential that you have created me to possess. In fact, let me give you four quick key principles about potential. Number one, every person has potential. All right? Every person has potential. Whatever your background today, don't let the devil tell you that you have no potential. Listen, every individual, a creation of God, has potential. Amen, church? Everybody has potential because God's created you that way to do great things. Number two, everybody has been created by God to bring him glory. Everyone's been created by God. Your ultimate purpose is to bring God glory. Number three, no one, and this is probably the most important of the three, no one can reach their potential apart from God's presence in your life. You'll never be able to live up to your potential without God's presence in your life. And then number four, only God knows the limits of your potential. A person may reach the top of their profession. They may have a terminal degree. They may have been, been uh, successful in business or in athletics or whatever it might be. But if they've not lived for God and are not living for God, they have still missed the ultimate potential that God had originally placed in their heart. That's the promise of potential. Samson will be a great man who will liberate the Hebrews from the bondage of the Philistines. Number two, that's the promise, but now look at the parents who pursue the potential. This is so important. If you're listening, say amen. Manoah's wife tells him about this promise that the angel of the Lord made her. That's in verse number six. And Manoah does what every believer ought to do 
when he hears that there's going to be a new addition added to his family, Manoah says, Lord, tell me what I need to do to train the one that you've given me, this new addition. Look in verse number 8 at what he says. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, Lord, let the man of God which you did sin come again to us. Look at this now. And teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. One translation says, teach us how to bring up the boy who is born. I remember how intimidating it was to leave the hospital for the first time with my oldest son after he had been born. To strap him in the car seat and to pull away from the hospital parking lot thinking, what in the world am I going to do now? Not knowing really how to take care of him or what to do or, or what being a dad was all about or any of those things. It was just kind of on-the-job learning. So I too, like Manoah, came to the Lord and said, Lord, help me know the right thing and how to lead my child in the right way. You know, children do not know naturally what is best for them. So they need parents. Listen, they desperately need parents that would pursue the great potential that God has placed in that child. Children need parents, now listen carefully, that not only teach them how to play ball and how to do math and how to hunt and how to fish or how to sew or how to cook and all of those things are so very valuable, but children also need moms and dads that teach them the value of Sunday school the value of being part of the church, the value of being part of God's kingdom, the value of giving back, the value of belonging to the family of God. We can do all of the other things, but if we don't teach our children those things, the value of church life and God's kingdom and model those things before them, then we're sending contradictory messages. Children need that information and they need that kind of model. Proverbs says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now listen, that verse, that verse is comforting if your children are doing what they're supposed to be do, doing when they get older. But that, church is, that, that, that verse is also very disturbing if your child is not doing what they're supposed to do when they get older. And perhaps you have done everything that you knew to do for your child. And you invested in their lives and you brought them to church and you taught them right from wrong. But as they became adults, they go their own way and there's very little that you can do about that as a parent. I know that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Sometimes we wish our children would be like robots and we could program them to make right decisions all the time. But that doesn't happen, does it? Sometimes they make poor decisions just like you and I have done over the course of our lives. So what... What the Bible is saying, train up a child in the way that he should go. In the Hebrew, that word train, it means, means they're bent, how a child, what their interests are, what their strengths are, meaning that a parent looks at that child and he begins to pursue the potential that that particular child has in a certain area. I have three children, all boys, of course, as you know, but I, have never, I would have never guessed that children could be so different from one from the other. Same parents, same family, same dinner table, same experiences of life for the most part. But all three of my boys, they couldn't be any more different. Different is night and day. And I learned as a parent that although I loved them the same, treated them all the same, treated them all fairly, I had to parent differently for each child because they were different individuals. 
And as a parent, God gives us the wisdom, and if we ask him for that, to be able to look into the lives and say like Manoah did, Lord, help me to know how to train my child and to draw out of them this full potential that you have put into their heart so that they'll be for you what you've created them to be. Christy Thompson, who has written an article for Focus on the Family, is an article about how to help your children connect with God. And you could go to Focus's website and you could find that article, but it's how to help your children connect with God. And she has a, some good insight, and I just lifted a paragraph I wanted to read uh, to you this morning. Listen to what she says about that. And when she, she writes about how children sometimes would connect with God differently than their parents would connect with God. She says this, quote, An intellectual parent will tend toward deep Bible study with her children while a caregiver will focus on finding family service projects. And a naturalist will spend a lot of time out in nature with their children. If I'm an extremely extroverted enthusiast, it might look odd to me if my introverted child would rather sit in the quietness and contemplate God's love or ponder a section of Scripture. I may feel that my child lacks faith, but the truth may be that my child connects with God in a different way than I do. God, who delights in our differences, desires to draw each of us to Him. I can and should look for teachable moments, but they may look different for each child. As parents, we should consider helping our children connect with God, particularly if their spiritual temperament is the complete opposite of ours. So what is our role as parents in our children's personal connection to God, she writes? Our role is to open our eyes to the unique way God is communicating with our children. Then we can respond by finding ways to partner with Him to encourage their relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, the long and the short of that article is every child is created with great potential from God. And as a godly mom or a godly dad, let's look into their lives and help them understand Listen, I don't want you to go by the way of the world. I don't want you to follow the, what the world has. I don't want you to fall in the traps that the world offers. I don't want you to miss the abundant life. I don't want you to fail to reach the potential that God has made for you. But I want you to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And to know that God has a plan for you. And to know that God has a design for who you marry. Let me say that again. God has a design for who our children are to marry. God has a design for the avenues of life that they will walk the vocations that they will choose. So let's just not get blinders on as we develop uh, from childhood to adolescence on to adulthood and forget that God has a plan. And the most important thing in life is to live up to the potential for who God made us to be. And moms and dads, we have to help our kids draw that out. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may go well with you and that your days on the earth would be long. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So Manoah said, God, help me to know how to train this boy. So you see the promise of great potential. You see the parents who pursue that potential. But finally, I want you to look at the person who realized his potential. Look in verse number 24, all the way down to the end of the chapter. The woman bare a son, this is the fulfillment of the promise they made to her earlier, and called his name 
Samson. All of their married life, Manoah and his wife wanted a child, like Abraham and Sarah. Do you know they were in their 90s (laughs) before God brought a child into their home? Sarah desperately wanted to be a mother, and she was in her 90s. Rebecca was childless. God intervened. Rachel was childless. God intervened. Hannah was without a child, and God intervened in her life as well and gave her a son named Samuel. And now here, after years of not being able to have a child, not that there's anything wrong with that, but after years of wanting a child and not being able to have one, finally she's able to conceive. She gives birth to a child, and they name him Samson. You know what the name Samson means? (laughs) Sunshine or sunlight. Danielle came to the 8.30 service, so she already got this this morning. (laughs) Sunshine or sunlight. And apparently what Samson's parents wanted from him was that he would be a ray of light in an otherwise dark, bleak, difficult environment. That he would be a ray of sunshine as they lived under the oppression of the Philistines And they lived absent from the abundant life that God had promised that they would enjoy. And they were hoping that this child would be strong enough to liberate them from from the Philistines and bring a ray of sunshine into their lives. In fact, if you will look in verse number 24, you will see that the Bible says, And the Lord blessed him. Do you know the judges served for 450 years and all the judges that we have been studying, that Samson is the only one that it says the Lord blessed him? Now, God used all the judges, the other judges, in a wonderful way. Uh, you, remember, uh, you remember Othniel, who was Caleb's younger brother? God called him the Lion of God, and God used him in a marvelous way. You remember Ehud, one of the first judges we studied, how he killed the king of Eglon, who was so large that he lost the dagger within him, and God used him in an incredible way. How about Deborah, the only female judge? Her name in the Hebrew means bee or honeybee. And there was Deborah who sat down under the palm tree and loved God and daily dispensed justice and judged the children of Israel. And she was the most spiritual of all the judges. What about Gideon, who who faced a Midianite army of 130,000 men, whom the Bible says their camels were so vast, so many of them, that they looked like grasshoppers spread across the valley. And here was Gideon with a ragtag motley crew of 300 men, and he sends the Midianites to flight. So God used them in a great way. But only about Samson does it say that God blessed him. It indicates God had his hand on this young boy in a special way. And God was ready to do great things in his life with that potential. Look in verse 25. It not only says God blessed him very quickly, and we're going to close. It says the Spirit of the Lord began to move him, meaning that God was leading him and working in his life to accomplish things that only God could accomplish through the strength that he put into Samson. You know, Samson was a strong man who never realized his potential. If you were taking notes, that third point that I gave you was the person who uh, realized his potential. In that third point, I'm not going to talk about Samson for the next two minutes, But I want to talk to you about another strong man. 
another strong man, although Samson failed to realize his potential, there was another strong man who came, and he fully realized his potential. Where Samson failed, this strong man came and in every way did what God had called him to do. And his name is the Lord Jesus. God told Manoah's wife, you will conceive and bear a son, and he will deliver his people from the Philistines. But God said to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. Samson had a miraculous birth. A mother who otherwise couldn't conceive was, was allowed to conceive, and she had a son. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, wasn't just a miraculous conception. It was a supernatural conception as the Holy Spirit of God overshadowed her. And she brought forth her firstborn son and laid him in Bethlehem's manger. When he was baptized in the Jordan River, Jesus came up out of the water and God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In Samson's disobedience, he went down to Timnath and married a Gentile bride. But the Lord Jesus, in absolute obedience to the will of God, left heaven, came into this world, and he too married a Gentile bride, the church, the bride of Christ. Samson was given over to the lusts and the passions of life. But the Bible says about Jesus that in all points he was tempted like we, but yet without sin. Samson came to deliver his people from the Philistines. Jesus came to deliver his people from sin and death. The last chapter of Samson's life, you see him in the temple of Dagon, a hand on each of the supporting pillars, and with all of his strength, he says, Lord, give me one more time the great strength that I had. And he pushes down those pillars, and the temple of Dagon comes down, and he destroys the Philistines. But on the cross of Calvary, with his arms stretched out, Jesus absorbed in him the sin debt of all the world, crushed the head of Satan there on the cross of Calvary, put him to open shame, and the Scripture says, tore down that middle wall of partition that separated us from God and reconciled us with God. Praise the Lord for that. Samson, a he-man, whom some have called a he-man with a she-weakness, failed in many ways, but aren't you grateful that one greater than Samson came? And he was able to defeat all the armies of Satan, sin, and death. Rise again the third day, ascend back to God the Father, set down at the right hand of God the Father where he forever makes intercession for you and I. Do you know him today and have you asked Jesus to come into your heart and life? You know, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And there is no higher glory in all of life than to live to be the person whom God saved you to be. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace, for your long-suffering and your mercy, for your kindness, for your mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. As we have the invitation today, and we just invite folk to make decisions, there may be folk here today, Lord, that want to unite with Highland Park Baptist Church. I pray they would come, Lord, during this time of invitation. Maybe others... Lord, who may be here young or old, they've never made their decision for Christ, and they want to come today and say, Pastor Darrell, I want to be saved today. Or maybe they've been saved, but they want to come and and unite with our church by believers' baptism. 
You just take the invitation and do with it what will bring honor and glory to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.